What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, where we spend the entire show answering listener questions. Here's how you get involved. Just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. That's it. Send me a send me a question on Twitter at Mike G. Rich. You can either do that whenever you're thinking about it, or you can wait for Monday mornings, watch the skies. That's when I put out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that. You get it answered. One caveat. This week, we finally reached the saturation point. I'm probably not going to get to everyone's questions and keep this in the preferred locked-on time frame. We try not to have this drag on too, too long here. But I've got everyone's questions saved in my handy-dandy Word doc. If you didn't get to it this week, I'll try to answer it in a sort of larger form next week. So maybe it'll even be better if you miss out. So if you don't hear your name or don't hear your question, don't fret. I haven't forgotten about you. I'll just have to hit you up later in the week. We got more of these coming. But on Mailbag Monday, we try to get to as many as we can. So let's go ahead and get to it. This first one comes from HR. That's a Char Fox, Archer Fox on Twitter, who asks, Is Damian Lillard the best point guard in the league right now? I say he is. I say he is too. I've been saying that for a while. He's been the best point guard in the league maybe since the moment Steph Curry broke his hand. Um, he's been on absolute tear lately, but I think he's been the best point guard in the NBA virtually all season long. He's just that good, and this stretch, this otherworldly last two weeks, 14 days, has been uh, just solidified everything you've ever could have possibly thought about him. Which brings us to our next question, which comes from KJMBball at BballKJM on Twitter, who asks, Dame is currently the best player in the league. Change my mind. I guess that's not really a question. That's a demand. Uh, KJM, I'm not going to change your mind. I probably don't agree. I think Giannis Antetokounmpo is still better. I think Kawhi Leonard is still better. I know that Dame just just whooped him in L.A. on Friday night, but I think LeBron James and Anthony Davis are still better than him. Um, the list is growing shorter, though. It certainly is. I think he is putting himself into that category of, yeah, maybe this dude is just the straight-up best player in basketball. I don't think he is there yet, but you can certainly make, the way he's playing right now, a compelling argument that few guys are more dominant in what they're doing. Next question comes from Amy Hall at Accounting Rocks, A-C-C-T-G-R-O-C-K-S, Accounting Rocks, no vowels, on Twitter, who asks... Do you think this is the best seven-game stretch for any NBA player ever? Hashtag Dame Time. (sighs) Amy, that's tough. Uh, No, I don't think it is the best stretch that any NBA player has ever played. I never saw Wilt Chamberlain. I feel like Wilt did this a lot. I kind of, the more I think about these streaks in context, I kind of feel like Wilt Chamberlain is the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, obviously played in a different era where everyone was six foot one and weighed 109 pounds or whatever, but uh, he, he had some really incredible statistical runs when you uh, go back deep enough. But let's start here. Damian Lode is the first player in the history of the NBA, the history of the league, to average more than 45 points in 10 assists over any six-game span. That stat courtesy of the Elias Sports Bureau. Listen, 
he's been really good. But the immediate ones that come to mind are Michael Jordan's triple-double streak. He had seven straight triple-doubles and 10 in 11 games. Would have had 11 in a row, but he finished with seven assists one night. That was in 1987. Uh, MJ was the best scorer in the league, and then Doug Collins moved him to point guard, and he ripped off seven consecutive triple-doubles. Even last year, James Harden went on two scoring binges in January that were just just insane from about the middle of January to the end of the month. He he was as good a basketball player as we've seen in a while. Um, I think Dame is approaching that stretch. He's probably a little better efficiency-wise uh, and ball-huggery-wise. Uh, his usage isn't as high as Harden's was. That was one of the crazy things about Harden's. He just he just did everything. Dame has spent a little bit of time not dominating the ball, but he's but I think that's right up there. I, Kobe Bryant. I wanted to say Kobe Bryant's stretch when he scored eighty one was really good, but there's another stretch in two thousand seven, the end of March in two thousand seven. Kobe Bryant, over a span of seven games, had 65, 50, 60, 50, 43, 23 in a loss, and then 53. I think that's... It, he wasn't as efficient as Dame. He didn't pass the ball the same as Dame, but I think that's that's up there. I guess to your point, is this the best stretch anyone in NBA history has ever had? Why I say no is because I think there's too many to debate, too many to point to to say this is definitively that, but it's... I. I really do think this is as good a two weeks as as many players have ever had in the league. This is a peak that few few who've ever played the game have touched. So I don't why well, I don't think it's outright the best stretch anyone's ever had in the history of the league. It's it's going it's going whenever it ends, should it end, it's going to be one of those things that you point to and you'll say, "Remember that time in January of 2020 when Dame just went bonkers?" So yeah, I, I don't think it's the best stretch anyone's ever had, but ooh man, he's been good. Okay, next question comes from Jess, Jeff Ellsworth, ellsbells08 on Twitter, who asks, has Dame been practicing lobs? Because it feels like he's thrown more in the last couple games than he ever has before. Uh, okay, to answer your first question, no, he is not practicing lobs. The Blazers don't practice. They don't. They just don't practice. They walk through stuff at low speed, and like guys get shots up and work on skills on their own. But no, they don't practice. Then it's like a high school team where they go through drills. Um, <laughs> they, they play too many games to practice, and they've like really this season more than in the past have really prioritized not going hard in practice to rest guys. The the way the Blazers are approaching load management is by not practicing very much. Like, at all. Um, but, your second question. I got thrown off guard to, on my practice rant. Your second your second part of your question is, is perfect. Because in the, that game to open February uh, against the Utah Jazz, the Blazers played one of their best games of the year. And Dame threw three lobs in the first quarter. One to Hassan, two to Nazir Little. The second one to Nazir Little, I think Dame threw the ball about 14 feet. And Nas went up and got it. It was very impressive. But that prompted me to look up Dame's successful lobs by month. Uh, I think I looked this up like as you were tweeting at me, Jeff, and I responded to your tweet and said, great minds think alike or something to that effect. Um, but here it is. In October, Dame threw one alley-oop. In November, he threw four. In December, he threw three. In January, six. In February, three. One game. So he's... Dame has thrown nine successful lobs 
since the start of the year in 2020. He threw eight in all of 2019. So he's absolutely connecting on more than he ever has before. I don't think he's ever been a good lob th- passer in my mind. He's that's like not I think I've said it on this podcast like he's not good at it. He just isn't good at it. He's getting good at it. In addition to being good at everything else, he's sharpening one of his very obvious weaknesses is that he doesn't have great touch on lob passes. If he do, if this is a real part of his arsenal, um, good news for Nas and Hassan because they're going to get more easy buckets. Teams are going to run more dudes at Dame, and maybe he's more comfortable throwing throwing soft lobs when the defenses rotate over. All right, next question comes from Jonathan at JSass on Twitter, who asks, I wouldn't have thought this possible until recently, and maybe I still don't, but will Carmelo Anthony re-sign with Portland next year? Would Portland let Zach come off the bench next year to do that? Even if Melo does want that? If you're Portland, do you do it? Related, Alex Flosaurus at the dude 0729 on Twitter asks, Do you think we can retain Melo next year by giving him the starting three or four spot, but playing Hood and Collins starting minutes a la Mo Williams? So yeah, I'm going to answer these two questions together because they are clearly related. Um... I do think it's possible Carmelo Anthony resigns next year, but I do think there are obvious challenges. I did a whole podcast segment last week about exactly this. Um, you you can find it in your feed. It came out on January 30th and it was titled "Mello Wants to Stay in Portland." So you can you can I, I went I did 10 minutes on this this whole topic, but to answer both of your questions quickly. Because I love Mailbag Monday, and I would never, um, I would never point you off to previous content. I'm only going to create new stuff for you. Um, I think Melo wants to start. I think that's a big part of why he wasn't in the NBA for ten months because I don't think he got offered a starting position that suited him. That said, to answer Alex's query, you cannot play Carmelo at the three because he's a power forward and hasn't been a three since 2007. The league has changed. He's 35. He'll be 36 next year. He's he's impressive in his defensive attention as a four, and he's strong, and he can he can guard fours, and he can rebound well enough to survive. He can't guard threes in the league. That's a terrible ask for him. So I'd say that's a non-starter. Can you bring Zach off the bench to make it happen? I certainly think that's an an option. I know that's probably not something that Neil Olshay wants, but it wouldn't surprise me if that was something that they considered if Melo really consi- really wanted to come back. Um, if you're Portland, would you do it? I think if his price is the minimum, the league minimum, I think you, you really strongly consider it. I'd say you lean towards absolutely yes. If he ends up having a market that's more than that, You've got to figure out what kind of role he's going to have and if having him in a reduced role makes sense. But I I do think you have to... I, th- I do think he needs... I do think it's likely that he wants to be a starter in the league. So the Blazers would need to configure the rest of their roster with the understanding that Melo was going to start and maybe let him know that he wasn't going to finish, as Alex mentioned, when the a la Mo Williams uh, role. So we'll see. I think it's. I don't think it's out of the question anymore. All right, before we get to the second segment, I want to tell you guys about advertising on this podcast. If you've been a listener to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with the Locked On Network. 
but you may not have known that Lockdown Blazers is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Trailblazer fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On Blazers gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. And not just any podcast listeners, a Locked On Blazers listener, the best type of listener. So if your company wants to connect with Blazer fans, then let's put your company right here on this podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. It's just it's just a fact. Here's what you do. Text the word advertising to 33777. Or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. Let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. Okay, still rolling along on Mailbag Monday. I told y'all it was going to be a crowded show, and it is. I didn't even get to the last question I had lined up for segment one because I went too long. As I want to do, I probably got caught up in talking about Blazers practices that nobody even asked about. But hey, we'll keep it rolling. This next question comes from Adam Levine at AdamJLevine09 on Twitter. Adam, your last name might be Levine. I might have pronounced it wrong a lot of times. You wouldn't be the first one, so I apologize. Tweet at me if I'm blowing it. Adam asks, I attended the Blazer game against Houston on Wednesday night, and I noticed that Simons had barely been playing. I checked the box score and saw that he only played nine minutes. Is this a sign of him falling out of the rotation, or is it just one of those stats on the fly lineup changes? Yeah, so in the game you're mentioning, Anthony Simons played just shy of 10 minutes. Gary Trent Jr. played 26 minutes. And this is the trend, Adam. It's a trend. Anthony Simons over his last six games is playing about 22 minutes a night. Gary Trent Jr. is playing about 28 and a half minutes a night. Also, in that same stretch, Gary Trent Jr. is playing down the stretch in games, averaging nine and a half minutes per game in the fourth quarter. Gary Trent Jr. is part of winning time. Anthony Simons is a part of first quarter rotations. And he and and it maybe it initially was a stats on the lineup on the fly lineup thing, but now it's just an earned role. Gary Trent Jr. is better than Anthony Simons right now. Like, a lot better. A lot more useful. A lot more valuable. Can just plays better on both ends. Uh, I didn't think this was a thing that would happen. I thought I thought si- I, Simons was going to take a jump. Um, he's, quite frankly, been a little bit disappointing this year. Not even a little bit. He's been disappointing this year. The Blazers overhyped him. He couldn't live up to the hype. He's 20 years old. It happens. I don't think that that's his problem. But the way the season went... That's disappointing. Gary Trent Jr. has been a huge surprise. I did not see this coming. I thought Gary Trent was one of those, at least in the very limited time I saw him, a guy who shot it a bunch, but it rarely went in. All of a sudden, he's a 40% catch and three point catch and shoot three point shooter. He can really play. Simons has a long career ahead of him to be a very good basketball player, but that's not what he is right now. Okay, next question comes. Next, I always do the second segment. It's just you people asking me about trading Hassan Whiteside. That's how I organize this pod almost every week because that's what we talk about on this show. That's what we do. We talk about Hassan Whiteside getting traded. So I'm going to rip off a whole bunch of questions about Hassan Whiteside getting traded. Shall we? Yeah, let's do it. First one comes from Ball in Peace, Kobe, from at Gamian Skillard on Twitter who asks, pretty simple question, in your opinion. Do you think Whiteside gets moved before the deadline, yes or no? No. I don't think there's a big market for Hassan Whiteside. I think the Blazers, 
I think he's been playing better for the Blazers, which means if they traded him, they would have to trade for a competent starting NBA center, ready to play 35 minutes a night on a team that wants to make the playoffs. I think they've spent 50 games developing chemistry between him and Damian Lillard. I think Neil Olshay insisted all year long he didn't want to trade Hassan Whiteside, and that may or may not have been true, but I think the market dried up. Yusuf Nurkic didn't come back healthy yet, and Hassan Whiteside started to play better at the right time. He's going to be on this team. I'd be very surprised if he gets traded, but if Woj blows up my phone before this podcast... uh, finishes recording i wouldn't be that surprised either stranger things have happened this next one comes from jeff gold at jgold10529 jeff got those numbers and then the name at the end jeff that's not a lot of people are rolling like that on twitter i love to see the creativity jeff asks would you still try to trade hassan whitehead given how well we are playing even if it means taking a step back this year I might because I think the Blazers like because I'm I'm my job I'm not I'm not in a results based business um, I I don't have the sort of um, wrath of an NBA team and a fan base I don't have to answer to Damian Lillard or CJ or their representatives or Nurk's representatives at Clutch or all the people who might be pissed if the Blazers decide to kind of throw this one. Um, in the gutter, but I have said this before and I'll say it again. I think the Blazers' best avenue to improve is through trades. I don't think you can get much back for Hassan, which makes me think that like trading him isn't super valuable. But um, if you were to, assuming that what you're saying, if it means to take a step back this year, take a step forward in the future, absolutely I would. I don't think that trade is out there though, quite frankly. I, I, I reported this at the last Mailbag Monday. Um, it, it just seems unlikely that Hassan's going to get moved because I think the I, I think the well is I think the market is just very shallow for teams that want a highly paid center. Um, they might want Hassan Whiteside in the future, but right now for his contract and the mechanics that it takes to move that contract in the NBA, I don't think um, I don't think you can get a lot of value back for him. So uh, I would if you could, but I don't think you can, and I don't think they will. Okay, next question comes from Steve Riddle at Coach underscore Station on Twitter who asks, if we trade Whiteside for a 16.4 rebound, four assists forward, whilst keeping the team we have, wouldn't a healthy Blazers team be a genuine threat next season? It feels to me that injuries this season have been downplayed in most commentaries. Yeah, I don't know what commentaries you're listening to, Steve. Um, Everyone's talking about the Blazers' injuries they're maybe early in the year they weren't highlighting them as much but um when the blazers were starting to like real life suck at after christmas everyone was like oh yeah this team is just riddled by injuries they also were riddled with a bad roster um that they have slowly improved so but injuries have been a big part of what pe- at least i've heard people talk about that seems to be the n- main thing we talk about on the even on this podcast injuries all the time but to your next question uh, 16.4 rebound, four assists forward. Yeah, that's that seems like a good plan, right? Here are the forwards in the league that average 16.4 rebounds and four assists. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jimmy Butler, Chris Middleton, DeMontis Sabonis, Kawhi Leonard, Brandon Ingram. Not trading for any of those dudes. They're all all-stars. Certainly not flipping Hassan Whiteside for any of those dudes. So what I did for you is I, as I stretched it out and I said 10 points, four rebounds, four assists. That includes Joe Inglis. Justice Winslow. On that list, I feel like Justice Winslow is the most reasonable trade target. He's been injured all season, so um, 
if you want injuries to be more part of the narrative, maybe trade Hassan Whiteside back to Miami for Justice Winslow? Yeah, that's not happening. I, there's, there is no trade that fits your parameters out there, Steve. Um, if it was simple to find forwards who scored double figures, got rebounds and passed the ball, teams would do it all the time. It's the thinnest position in the league. It just doesn't, it just simply does not exist. To that middle part of your question, would the Blazers be a genuine threat next season? They're in a position to be a very good team again next year. Um, depends on what you mean by genuine threat. Are they a championship level team if they basically stand pat and bring Nurk back? Probably not, but they're certainly closer than they are right now. Okay, next question at, from Aaron Dahl, at Dahl 79 on Twitter, who asks, If Whiteside stays, what is the best case scenario of a cost of re-signing for... Re-signing and keeping him for next season and after. So you want a two-year contract, Aaron. Should his house purchase and remodel tell us anything about him having been told that he's staying? Uh, Hassan Whiteside bought his house when he arrived here in August. So no, but he does own that house, and he's he's putting um, some work into it. I saw on the internet that he's doing a fairly significant remodel of that house. My goodness. Uh, best case scenario for keeping him is like two for 18, two years, nine million a piece. Um, I don't know how realistic that is. I'm, I'm very curious to see what Hassan Whiteside's market next year. He's definitely going to take a massive pay cut. I'm, I'm curious to see what anyone wants to pay for a 30 year old center. Like oh, he's only can play center. He's not a great passer. He doesn't shoot with range. Uh, he's been really good lately. Uh, but, but do other teams think they can coax the way he's played the last three weeks out of him for 80 games? Um, and if you were going to overpay for an center with gaudy numbers, wouldn't you just pay Andre Drummond? Right? 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 Okay, next question comes from Jack, at Jack Parshall on Twitter, who asks, I'd trade, Wh- I'd trade Whiteside for Robert Covington and Gorgie Jang. I'd even give, I'd even give a lottery-protected first-round pick, would you? Yeah, this is kind of the that earlier question, like, would I trade them if I take a step back? I think this this would make the Blazers a lot worse in the short term because um, you'd only have Gorgie Jang to play all your center minutes, I guess, and Caleb Swanigan. Um, that's, that's not a very good group. But Covington on the wing would answer a lot of their problems. He, he would kind of, he's a, a younger Trevor Ariza. He would let Ariza play both three and four a little bit. Uh, Covington fits, checks a lot of boxes. Um, I would, I'm not sure that I would just hammer that one right away because I think that's, you know what? No, I'd do it. I'd do it. Screw it. Yeah, I think it's a good trade, Jack. I'm in. Okay. Both teams pod hard. We're going to have to fly through these guys. Both teams pod hard. At both teams pod on Twitter who asks, major factors in the win streak seem obvious. Dames are a world play in their rival Rizzo. What are some less obvious factors contributing to this turnaround? Okay. Uh, Caleb Swanigan is an upgrade over Anthony Tolliver. Having those backup center minutes come from someone who can compete against other backup centers, set real screens on the perimeter, and compete for rebounds on defense is really, really valuable. Um... I don't even think Caleb Swanigan's been very good, but that upgrade from totally unplayable backup center to reasonably bad backup center is is significant. The other one is that Gary Trent Jr. is an NBA player. Um, he was not an NBA player earlier in the season. He was not an NBA player last year. He's an NBA player now. He can shoot. He defends with interest. I don't know if he's good at defense, but he he, he competes and, and stays, stays engaged on defense. Um... 
He can he does NBA things. He he doesn't just shoot threes. He's made a couple little mid-range pull-ups. He doesn't really get to the rim, but he can he can make you pay if you run him off the line. Uh he's just playing with a great deal of confidence and that's uh that's really 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 important. Also, as you mentioned, Damian Lillard may be the best player in the NBA right now. Uh next question comes from at @jsmoof at @juicymoose3424 on Twitter who asks who would be the perfect and relatively realistic fit for the Blazers to acquire the deadline? Perfect? Ooh, yikes. Um, the Blazers don't have a lot of trade assets. I've I've detailed this before. Uh, da- not going to trade Dame. Not going to trade CJ. Not going to trade Nurk. Not going to trade Rodney Hood. Not going to trade Zach Collins. Probably not going to trade Anthony Simons. Probably not going to trade Gary Trent Jr. So now you're talking about Scalabi Sierra, Hassan Whiteside, Nazir Little, Mario Hazonia. It's just, it's really slim. Um, they're just, they don't have, because of their stated goal to keep the team intact, because they don't have a lot of mid-range salaries, they basically have guys making a lot of money and guys making very little money. They don't have a lot of ways to, to make good trades. There's not like an easy low impact move, but I tried to find one. Here's the best I could do. And I still think it might be a ripoff that the other team says no to Mario Hazonia. And another thing, the Blazers are running out of second rounders. They traded two in the Rodney Hood deal. They traded two in the Trevor Ariza deal. So they don't really have a lot of seconds just floating around. So maybe Mario Hazonia and some sort of future heavily protected first round pick for Glenn Robinson, the third, that's right. Little big dog, the six, six wing for the golden state warriors. He's averaging 14 points, five rebounds, and two assists in January. Little Big Dog is is like a good wing. He's like a pretty solid wing in the NBA. The Warriors are super bad. I don't think they want Hazonia. I think a first-round pick is probably too much to pay for someone like Glenn Robinson III. But that's the, my best fit. A, a, a real NBA wing who can score and is six foot six. It's the best I could do. Okay, next question comes from Brennan O'Donnell. Brennan asks, Mello, Ariza, Whiteside, and Hood. Is Portland where players need to go for a second chance to show everyone that they're actually good? If so, what has been, what has been, would you like to see in a Blazers jersey in the future? Oh man, this is tough. Uh, I don't think, I, I don't think it's totally rare in the league for guys to, a change of scenery to really help guys. See Dwight Howard in LA. Um, after f- bouncing teams around a bunch, he kind of got into an environment where he can play at a very high level. Um, so I don't. it's not unique to the Blazers. Uh, it's certainly something that they take pride in as an organization, but I don't think it's um, specific to this, to this part of the world or anything like that. But what has been? Would I like to see in a Blazers jersey in the future? <sighs> um, I think Joakim Noah is kind of the played-out answer. I don't think anyone really... Uh, believes in that. I think Jamal Crawford is kind of the other obvious answer, sort of these guys that are out of the league that people want to see revived here. Um, But what I've always been curious about is Tyson Chandler. He's been in the league forever. He's 38 years old. The Blazers have been linked to him in the past. And I kind of think he'd be a good backup center if he ever got a chance to play. I don't know why I think that, but I do. So yeah, Tyson Chandler. Okay, third segment, come back, close out the show. More your questions. All right, welcome back. Still locked on Blazers, still Mike Richmond. We're still cruising through Mailbag Monday, trying to finish the show without running wildly long, but we'll do our best. 
This next question comes from Amy Hall at Accounting Rocks on Twitter who asks, In your time around the team, before and after the game, have you seen players or coaches with any interesting or fun pre- or post-game rituals? So, Amy, thank you for the question. In how long ago was this? In April of 2017... When I worked at the Oregonian, my colleague and I, Joe Freeman, we wrote a long story that is titled A Behind-the-Scenes Look at Portland Trailblazers Game Day. Uh, we, it's, it's, it is, it's a long story. It's going to take a little while to read. You know, get yourself a, a nice cup of tea, sit down and read it. But we wrote all about pregame rituals and things like that. Um, but my other fun and, and fun things that I've seen is Chris Kamen used to drink milk sometimes after games. Like he'd drink some whole milk. Um, which is quite a post-game beverage. And Wesley Matthews, uh, a lot of NBA players do this, but he was the first guy I saw do this, would drink a cup of coffee before games. Uh, Not something I would do before I worked out at a high level, but he would drink a big old cup of black coffee before a basketball game. Always thought that was a weird ritual. Okay, next question from Logan Gillis, who asks, Is Nazir Little actually Jerome Chrissy reincarnated? No, I don't think that math works. Uh, Nazir Little was born before Jerome Kersey passed away. So unless they did some sort of Freaky Friday switch, I just don't think the math works on that. Um, uh, I do like that comparison, but yeah, you got to... I don't think that's how reincarnation works, Logan. Okay, next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter who asks... Not a question per se, but I want to hear two predictions from you. First, a bold prediction for what happens this week, something outside the box. Then I want a prediction for you for what will actually happen. I'm guessing the second will make me sad. Is that because I'm a unrelenting pessimist, Matt? Is that is that why I make you sad? Um, okay, Matthew. My first prediction, outside the box. Carmelo Anthony scores his age. He has 35 points in a game this week. Uh... Not sure he has that in him, but if he does, you know, 30-minute mark of Lockdown Blazers, you know where you heard it. Second prediction, and I hate predictions, Matthew. Usually hit me with a, with a hypothetical, some sort of um, strange either-or scenario of two unrelated things that, I, that I, I truly enjoy. And this one, you're making me make predictions? Come on, Matthew. Make this easy on me. Um... And for that, I'll take it out on you and really make you sad. My prediction, the Blazers go 1-2 and two this week. At Denver, San Antonio, and then a back-to-back at... Second night of a back-to-back at Utah. Those are tough games. Um, it wouldn't be a shock if the Blazers went 1-2. and two, So that's not super bold. But they're playing so well right now that the idea of them dropping two of their next three might surprise you. Uh, but I think that's realistic. Uh, that's that's my prediction, Matthew. No thanks. <laughs> Actually, thanks for the question, as always, and thanks for listening. But no thanks on the predictions. Okay, next one comes from Stuart on Sundays, at Stuart on Sundays on Twitter, who asks, Coming home on vacation this week and planning to catch both games. I know Lillard is unstoppable right now, but any update on the possibility of baby races at halftime? Listen, Todd Bosma, the MC, Master of Ceremonies at the Moda Center, I've been trying to get him to get baby races all year long. He's been, he says he's working on it, he's working on it, he's working on it, but I know it's not coming this week, Stuart. I'm very sorry. I even asked Todd about that this week. 
He didn't know the answer. He said it still could happen, but the home games are dwindling, and I want to watch toddlers crawl in the wrong direction. That's the type of content I crave at halftime, and so does Stuart, Todd. So do it for Stuart. Do it for all of the Locked On Blazers listeners who I consider my pen pals. They write in and I talk back. Is that is that how pen pals work? I don't know. But yeah, do it for Stuart. Do it for all of us. And do it for me, Todd. Get the baby races at the Moda Center. Okay, next question comes from Sir Wheezy, at Wheezy Sir on Twitter, who asks, Nazir Little's jump shot looks so clean. I don't believe it looked like this at UNC. It didn't, not even close. The beginning of the season, it looks a little janky, but now it looks so smooth. If this development is not an aberration, could Nas become a 3-and-D player of the Blazers' future? Okay, first of all, this is a pretty small sample size, but I do think you're right. I do think it's like Nazir Little's shot looks cleaner. Uh, A lot of what the Blazers do with guys who are developing is kind of just get them to take game shots. And what game shots look like for people who play alongside Damon CJ are standing around the perimeter being ready to shoot. And I do think shooting is something you can get actually better at during an NBA career. It's hard to improve your ball handling. That's just, you know, you're kind of... Guys just don't seem, they seem to sharpen it a little bit as opposed to take big leaps with ball handling. Maybe Kawhi Leonard did this, but beyond the like true greats, I'm not sure others have. You can. I don't think it's really that easy to improve your passing. I think that's sort of an IQ thing and a touch thing that you either have or don't have. But guys can really improve their shooting. There's a track record of a bunch of NBA players who have been sort of not great shooters and turned into league average shooters. The Blazers have done this with guys like Mo Harkless and... and Camino, and I think Nazir Little is in a similar program now. But to your point, Nazir Little has made seven three-pointers in, in 2020. In January, one game in February, he is now a cool seven for 18 from three in 2020. He was five for 30 to begin the season. Only one game, he only played in one game in October, but he was five for 23 in, in the month of November and 0 for seven in 10 games in December. So he's made more threes in the first 32 days of the year than he did in the first, you know, two plus months of the regular season. So it's real. I think like you're noticing an improvement because it's actually improving. Um, That would be a big, obviously the Blazers envision him as some sort of three and D guy. Uh, That would be a big step. I think we're taking baby steps there. We're taking baby races at halftime there. Okay. Final question of the show. Blake Botaro, at BallDon'tLie77 on Twitter, who asks, Heard some news recently that Whiteside not only purchased a house, but he also stated that he wants to re-sign. If he hypothetically does not get traded, do you see him truly accepting a backup role with behind Nurk? That would be a monster 48-minute-per-game 48 48 duo. Yeah, it would be really good. Uh... I didn't put this in the second segment because maybe I misorganized or maybe I wanted to close the show talking a little bit about Blazers' future. You'll never know. I guess. I think one of the things about the way Hassan Whiteside is playing and playing well is that he's getting minutes. He's getting 30-plus minutes a night. He has a defined role. He's figured out this chemistry, but he also knows that he's going to be part of the plan every single night. You're not going to lose him because he's not part of the plan. I think there's real value in that. Absolutely. A defined role helps. It it just helps. It absolutely adds to what he can do is knowing that he's going to be able to do it. 
I think in the short term, when Nurkic comes back, not much really changes with Hassan Whiteside. He can still play 30 minutes if if Nurk plays 18 off the bench, and slowly as that ratio goes 24 to 24 or whatever it might be, it becomes easier to stomach if Nurk's playing well and Hassan's playing well and you just ride whoever's playing better and, and things like that. But I don't think... The same way with Mello, the, the question was asked earlier in the show, and the same thing I said about Hassan earlier in the show is, I don't think, I think he wants to start, he wants to play, and he's in a, he's in a really good situation right now. He's starting, he's playing, they're trusting him. Um, I think the Blazers have been more publicly positive about him over the last month, whether that's just sort of um, them appreciating him more or them realizing that he's part of the plan long term. I feel like there's more public praise of him from guys on the team, particularly Damian Lode recently than there had been early in the season. He's in a good spot. And and the future of the Blazers is Yusuf Nurkic. And Getting guys to accept their roles is one of the great challenges in the league. It's why roster building is hard, because it's not just who fits where, but who's willing to do what. I'm not sure that Hassan Whiteside is willing to just chill and come off the bench. I don't think the Blazers will really have to cross that bridge this season. They might approach it. They might get close to it. Um, if they are somehow weirdly in a longer playoff series or a longer playoff run than many of us are anticipating, they might get to a point where they have to make those decisions. But for right now, Hassan's in a good spot. Nurk is still working his way back, dealing with some minor setbacks and the type of things that happen when you're recovering from a big injury. So while we will spend every Mailbag Monday, in fact, the next Mailbag Monday is going to be after the trade deadline, so... This could be our last major Hassan episode, which is why I want to close with it. The trade deadline's Thursday. I don't think the Blazers are going to move Hassan. I think he's part of this team for the foreseeable future, like until the end of the season, and then they'll let him go. But but I don't think he's going to find himself in a better situation than he is right now. So instead of worrying so much about Nurk and Hassan and all those things, we'll have time to worry about them. We'll get to them on future episodes of this year's podcast. I think... Uh, now, for three days before the trade deadline, it's time to appreciate that Hassan Whiteside has finally found his groove and that for maybe the first time all season, the Blazers aren't desperately looking over their shoulder for when Yusuf Nurkic can return. All right, we, were, we ran a little long on this one, as promised. If I didn't get to your question, rest assured, I have it saved in my handy-dandy Word doc and I will answer it in some form or fashion later this week. I promise. I love Mailbag Monday so much that I wouldn't leave anyone out in the cold. If you want to get involved, tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich, whenever you're thinking of a question, or wait for Monday mornings when I put out the tweet soliciting your questions. Tell your friends about this podcast. If you like it, and they like the Blazers, chances are they'll like this podcast too. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.